PodRocket is sponsored by LogRocket, a front-end monitoring and product analytics solution. Just to say it's not really sponsored by anyone, it's sponsored by us, LogRocket, and we're giving it away for free. The podcast is free, the product is not free. There's a free trial, we could split hairs about whether or not that's free to you, but anyway, that's it. There are no more ads. If you're interested and you want us to know that you came from the podcast, please go to logrocket.com slash podrocket. If you don't care, logrocket.com works just fine. Thanks. Hey, welcome to PodRocket. Today we have Jessica Chan from Coder Coder, a collection of resources that helps aspiring web developers learn to code. Jessica and I chat about creating content for web developers, building a personal brand, and then we get into marketing a little bit where I mostly launch into a few marketing rants and uh, Jessica either politely listens or adds her own two cents. So I really enjoyed the conversation and let's get started. Hey, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Tell me about Coder Coder a little bit. What is it? How did it get started? All that stuff. Yeah, for sure. So Coder Coder is a bunch of things. I do have a website with like tutorial articles. And as you mentioned, I have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Twitter, social media type stuff. Basically, I am trying to help people who want to learn web development, learn those coding skills and, you know, find a job or whatever they ultimately want to do with coding. And I started it because I myself like I never went to school for computer science. And I basically had been just doing these temp office jobs. But somehow I kind of fell into web development and learning how to code on the job and ended up teaching me skills that I could use to then get a much better stable career for myself. And it's just been super fulfilling and satisfying. You know, being a web developer, doing coding, I just really love building stuff. So I felt like It was kind of a way that I could help other people and maybe give back a little bit for others who may be trying to find a new career or just getting into something that maybe they don't have a college degree or, you know, a CS degree, but you can still get a good job out of it if you know how to do web development. I wanted to sort of plug the YouTube video you made that has the story of your journey through. (laughs) I thought it's really an amazing, it was really well done video. It covers kind of your journey from switching majors and making $8 an hour. That's kind of how I knew we were like roughly peers is I could remember when like, oh, I could remember making $8 an hour. So that's good. (laughs) But you should check it out on the Coder Coder YouTube page. How long have you been doing Coder Coder? It started sometime in, I think, 2017. So I guess it'll almost be four years. Well, for me, everything revolves around the Log Rocket blog. So I was like, when is the one time that Jessica wrote for us? And that was in 2019. I looked up <laughs> before this and I go, I think I was aware of it maybe a year before that. Okay. So 2017, mm-hmm. how'd you decide to launch Coder Coder with the audience that you have? Like mostly beginners, right? People who don't mm-hmm. know how to code. How did you, when you were kind of thinking about like who to help first? This sort of an interesting story, how I kind of landed on the idea of Coder Coder and creating content to help people. But I was actually on an international flight to Japan to visit a friend. And for my airplane book, I had the book, The $100 Startup by Chris Gillibo. I brought that book with me because I've always kind of been interested in sort of having my own business or company of some sort, but I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. But I read the book and in the book, he asked you, you know, what is it that you're passionate about that you could then sort of turn into your startup idea? And for me, I think coding was actually what I'm probably most passionate about in my life, at least right now. And I basically wanted to help 
past me, if that makes sense. So I've been a web developer for like eight years and it was kind of a rocky start at the beginning because the learning curve for learning how to code is pretty steep at the beginning. And so I felt like even though there's a lot of other tutorials material out there, I felt like I could sort of create content that can explain concepts and things to people who are struggling with maybe some of these basic ideas. So it's kind of like trying to help my past self pretty much. That's such a nice sentiment. I usually hear like, oh, well, I got into it because like, I don't know who else are you supposed to help. It's interesting. I mean, when we, when I think about content for LogRocket or just sort of content in general, people talk a lot about either that kind of intermediate content, content for intermediate level practitioners, and then of course, kind of expert level content. But I don't know. I mean, it seems like the most people you could really help would be kind of at the bottom of that pyramid. Although it is crowded. I will say that. I don't know how much that matters. It is crowded, but yeah, it's kind of weird. Everything I've read about, you know, oh, should I start getting into this niche for content creation? Because there's already so many other like YouTube channels and blogs and things like that. But it's interesting. It's almost weird that for every content creator, there's people who watch their stuff and it just resonates with them more. It's almost like, you know, when you Mm -hmm. make friends, you don't click with every single person, but there's certain people that you kind of gravitate towards more naturally. And I think that's kind of applicable to the whole content creator thing. So not having a scarcity mindset, but being like, you know, there's enough content viewers to go around. There's still room for me to do it as well. That's super interesting too. Like even you could watch like three Mm -hmm. or four different people talking about the same thing and then finding the person that really speaks to you the best. Exactly. The other thing I wanted to ask is the platform you just added on to grow Coder Coder because between Instagram and YouTube, I think those are like the hardest ones to get started with and you went there first. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm impressed. How did you make that decision? It just kind of happened. Yeah. So I originally started the blog because blogs are sort of what's most familiar to me, but I already had a personal Instagram account and I must have just decided to search for what are other, are there web developers on Instagram? And I just found this really thriving, vibrant community of developers who are sharing their 100 days of code progress or sharing pictures of their computer setups and things like that. And it just seems like a really friendly place for beginners as well. So there's not a lot of gatekeeping, if that makes sense. And I was able to have just cool discussions in the comments on different people's posts, you know, my own as well as other people's. And honestly, I would say I've made friends on Instagram through this whole Instagram developer community. So it's been, it's been really fun. So I think that's why I kind of got into Instagram first before Twitter or really going into YouTube. Yeah. I mean, I have noticed, and I don't know if it's just my imagination or it really is this way now, given the last year we've had or or not. But like, I feel like when I started here in 2017, content creators on YouTube, content creators on Instagram, more or less kept to themselves. Like they were in these kind of independent circles versus maybe the web developer community on Twitter, right? Like those are kind of distinct groups, I thought. Yeah, I agree. But now it doesn't really seem that's the case anymore. I see like a lot more, (laughs) what's the word, cross-pollination. I don't really know why that is. Like we tried to launch an Instagram sort of account, which is different. I mean, it's a publication, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just didn't feel like it was the right audience and the audience agreed with me. They didn't, they were not interested in. (laughs) Instagram is, it's tough to break into. I think especially for brands that aren't necessarily like visually oriented you know, it's why travel blogs and DIY stuff, like it's much easier to kind of port over to Instagram versus, yeah, like a, a publication or journal. 
I know. And somehow sticking my face next to every single post we did would not be a great idea. Well, I mean, it would be okay idea. I don't know how uh, that would resonate. So what about YouTube? I mean, your YouTube channel is equally as impressive because that, <laughs> that came afterwards, right? That came afterwards. I think I'd made maybe like one video at the very beginning around the same time when I started Instagram, but I just kind of put it to the side because for whatever reason, I decided to go like all in on Instagram for a year. Mm. I kind of had this sort of internal bet with myself of, I want to get to 10K because 10K is like this magic number where once you hit that point, Instagram will give you some, you know, special powers for like linking your stories and things like that. So yeah, I think in 2019 was when I kind of went all in on Instagram for several months. And I'm not really all in as much on Instagram anymore. I think it's just tough because the ROI of what I felt I had to put in to get views and engagement was not worth it. Instagram is just a super fleeting platform. Yeah. Like no one's going to see your content 24 to 48 hours after it's been created. Whereas for YouTube, it's very long-term, you know, people can search for a topic. And if you have a video on that, they could find it, even if it's like years old. So in my mind, kind of shifting from Instagram more to YouTube now is just for my own, my own benefit of just feeling like I can create something and it'll stick around for a while. It won't just like disappear into the ether. No, that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of marketing, or if not marketing, you're thinking about it like a business. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm just thinking for YouTube, how do you pick? Like you don't have a newsletter. I've seen people launch newsletters. It always seems to be like that. The question I'm I'm going to is like the final form for people is I'm going to start out doing kind of instructional like lessons maybe, and then they go into content. Hmm. But I like that you started with content. I do have an email newsletter. I'm trying to sort of diversify as much as possible in the channels that I feel like are kind of efficient. Like I'm, I'm kind of lazy. So that's one reason why I'm not <laughs> so much in Instagram anymore. Yeah. If I put work into something, I want to like make it stick around and work for me. So how do you set goals then for either the YouTube channel itself or, or the even the newsletter? My approach is again, being lazy is kind of minimal. So like I'm only going to send out email newsletters when I have a new blog post or a new YouTube video, just to let people know. I know that some people go super in depth into email marketing and like have all these automations and tagging and lead magnets and stuff like that. And I tried that at the beginning, but right now I'm just sticking to just sending out emails for actual updates. I think that's enough, <laughs> honestly, especially, I mean, I can absolutely relate to being lazy. I think I hope a lot of people listening can as well. Work smarter, not harder. <laughs> We're circling how you build a personal brand, mm. right? And why that's mm -hmm. important. I, I see it a lot in the web dev space. It's like, should I build a brand? And I, you really even see it if you spend any time on LinkedIn, which like, I don't know that I would recommend. But if you do, you see people like, should I build a brand for me? I would imagine you would advocate building a personal brand, yeah? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there's a million reasons that people would want to build a personal brand or have an online presence. I think it just depends on what your sort of end goal is. Like, for example, for me, I do want this to be a company and a business where I make money from courses and other things related to content creation. Other people might simply want to have a reputation in the developer community. And I think Twitter, like you mentioned earlier, that seems to be a huge place where developers of all levels of experience just kind of congregate and talk about things. And so I think it's definitely a justifiable reason to sort of want to have kind of an online reputation in a way with an online brand. Mm. And I do think it can help you with job interviews and applying for jobs just sort of being on the other side of that where I've had to interview developer candidates and 
you know, the first thing you do is you Google their name and see what pops up. If you type their name in and you find a website that has like weird conspiracy theory views and you might not hire them versus if you find a Twitter account or a GitHub account where you see them being super active in the community, building side projects and stuff like that, it just gives you much better, fuller picture of who that person is that you might not get to see just in the interview process itself. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely the first thing I do, right? Is like when we get candidates, it's like Google folks and check out their stuff. Unfortunately, we haven't had any candidates with like super interesting personal brands, like, you know, lizard people websites and stuff like that. I don't know that that necessarily <laughs> guarantees success, but it does make interesting reading for me yeah. as I'm going through applications. But it is super important even just to like mind what's on your Twitter. But if you're actually going for an engineering job, for example, it couldn't hurt, right? Definitely. What do you think about influencer or the word, either the word influencer, yeah. the function as an influencer? I have thoughts, but I'm more interested in yours. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good. <laughs> I personally don't know anyone who wants to call themselves an influencer. It's more like this title has been bestowed upon you and you now fit into this category. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it mean to be an influencer? I don't know. You know, I mean, maybe I'm an influencer just because I talk about different tips and tricks for coding and sort of that influences how people think. But I think it's a weird way of applying a celebrity level perception on people who aren't like classic definition of celebrities. But on the other hand, I do think that like, for example, you can be thought leaders, like Mm. like going back again to the whole Twitter dev community. Like there's people there, like Jen Simmons, she's part of the CSS working group, Rachel Andrew, like just these really big pillars of the web development society, I guess you could say. And it's cool being able to see what they're thinking and what they're doing and how they're working to, you know, make CSS, you know, more advanced through the years. And I would consider them influencers and not at all in a negative way. So it's a weird question. I think there are people who do influence thought Mm. and influence the future of the industry. I'm not sure I would necessarily think of influencerness as something to aspire to, but mm. that kind of just goes hand in hand with, again, having a bigger online presence. So yeah, it's just a weird thing. I agree. And I also feel like, <laughs> like I've just been watching it for years now. Like I kind of see like, like I agree with you, you know, like there's, you become an influencer by doing things and actively contributing. Right. And so sometimes when I see, we'll call them celebrities, like I'm not really sure what it is they're working on. And if what they're working on is stuff on social and that's the, that's the thing, then great. But sometimes that's not always clear to me anyway, but also (laughs) like, I I think there was say like developer advocates, like that's a goal that you could get to. And then you would actually require that, you know, like we are hiring for a dev advocate spot and, and I'm looking for somebody who has all of those skills, which is not a plug for the job. Yeah. Being good at social media is a definitely a very important skill these days. Do you feel like you're good at it? I think I'm good at it in a very narrow niche of educational material about coding and web development. I wouldn't trust myself to give an opinion to like a a restaurant business or something to build their social media platform or a presence. Is it something you've worked on or is it just kind of like with intent, which is maybe a dumb question, but like the, like gone to go it seek out and learn about, because like, I'm not any good at it. I don't think. I haven't taken a course or anything, but Honestly, it's in some ways very similar to how I learned how to code. So like I didn't get a degree. I didn't really take any courses. But as you try to do something, if you try to keep in mind how you can constantly improve or being critical about things you've done in the past, see what you can do better in the future, 
then I think you'll sort of naturally improve. So I think that's what I've done in web development under the threat of meeting my deadlines at my job. And it's also been true for my growth on social media since, you know, I'm always trying to get more likes and engagement. So I just try to see what other people are doing, see what works for them, try things myself, see what works for me. I guess that's more or less what we do too, like iterative process. Although again, because it is hard for a brand or at least for our brand right now, it wouldn't make sense to go on Instagram and really spend a lot of time there as an example. Going back to something that we talked about a little bit earlier, or at least I wanted to ask is how do you prioritize what it is that you want to, or really just decide on what it is you want to teach, like what you want to focus on? Is it just something that comes from what you're working on or? I've sort of identified my niche as it were as, you know, beginner web developer skills. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's an idea that I've just kind of thought of, like, for example, right now on my blog, I have a post that's doing really well about Z index and the title of it is why is this the index not working? Mm -hmm. And I came to that title because at some point in the past, it wasn't working for me. So why is it not working? And so just trying to think of things that people are going to type into Google. And this is just for the blog in terms of SEO and getting traffic from Google. But a lot of times I'll get ideas just from my audience. So if I have a Instagram post or a YouTube video, people leave comments asking about different questions or like, can you make a video on like this topic? And if it makes sense to me, and if I think I can make a good video about it, then I'll go ahead and do that. So I actually have a Trello board that's full of lots of ideas for future posts and videos and stuff. So I just kind of keep collecting them and then slowly making my way through the list. Now, believe me, I can relate to having a Trello board full of ideas. Yeah. You've seen it, I think. Yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> the reason I ask about like how you think about which topic to work on next is you're doing less than, say, a blog like LogRocket. So you're focusing on these very specific things that either resonate to you or with the audience. Whereas like us, for example, we're doing a lot, we're covering a lot of things. And so I'm just kind of wondering like how other content creators think about making content as a priority mm -hmm. as a, is it like, oh, this is new and it's just kind of cool and we're doing it. Like, I'm sure there's an element to that too. Yeah. There's definitely like, if an idea just kind of pops in my head and I feel super motivated to write something about it, then I'll go ahead and do that. But yeah, generally I just try to put myself in the audience's shoes, you know, someone who's trying to learn how to code, for example, and kind of imagine what things they might be struggling with that I could help them out from my own experience. So I think that, I think that's pretty important. Just remembering who your audience is. Yeah. What I really like about the web dev audience is if you forget, they will let you know. And I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that very much, actually, you know? Yeah. So when you're planning things to work on or like, you know, post to write, to what degree do you consider the question, will this work? Will people care about it? Will it get views? How do you think about that? That's definitely in the forefront of my mind. Mm. Cause I want to create content that my audience feels is relevant, but at the same time, since I do want to run this like a business and let's say at the bottom of my funnel are my premium paid courses, which I'm working on the top of the funnel would be, you know, this free content, like YouTube blog posts, social content. So my approach to things is I want to make every piece of content that I create part of that funnel. So relevant to beginner web developer skills. So I try not to deviate too far from that. For example, on YouTube, there's a lot of dev channels who are more about this kind of meta. So just talking about, yeah. you know, how to get a career, like interview tips. I'm kind of trying to keep to that tutorial educational thing because 
that's the type of audience that I'm trying to grow. So if that makes sense, I try to keep things pretty narrow and not go outside of what my niche is. Us too. When I'm thinking about how to come up with content, you know, we're mm-hmm. thinking about it as a brand, as a business. And we're obviously like, we're very upfront about it. Sometimes I'll get yeah. comments where it's like, if a post gets to Hacker News that we did, and it's on the front page, like, well, this is obvious content marketing. And the answer is like, yeah, mm. it, yes, it is. We're, <laughs> we're being very obvious about it. And for yeah. me, like the best way you can do that is be upfront. And then we have a little plug for Log Rocket at the bottom and you don't have to read it if you don't want to. For sure. But for individual content creators, I'm always curious to hear like, how do you think about whether or not it'll work? You know, like, are you doing things like SEO research ahead of time? You know, mm-hmm. I think you might be the first person, not as a marketer, mention the marketing funnel as it relates to people mm. who are consuming <laughs> the content, which maybe everyone doesn't know. Yeah. I, I took a deep dive into the marketing world mm. maybe a year or two ago. I was just constantly reading books, listening to podcasts, watching YouTube videos. So I feel like I learned a lot maybe about business and marketing about that. And also I learned like what I don't want to do, like pop up windows and stuff like that. Same here. I can relate. I just wouldn't work. Like I just, you're just going to make people yeah. upset. Like why would you intentionally ruin the experience? <laughs> For sure. I've never actually, this is a tangent, but I've never understood the whole argument of like, well, pop-up windows work, so we'll keep doing it. But like, there's never, I've never, ever seen a metric of the people who saw your pop-up window, left your website and never came back. Like no one says that. They just say it works because some people do fill out that form and click the submit button. But that's my little rant on (laughs) pop-ups. I like it. (laughs) If you want, you're welcome (laughs) back to do like rants regularly, marketing (laughs) rants. I don't know. I think the podcast would change a little bit marketing rates. Yeah. And I don't have any metrics because we don't do pop-ups at LogRocket. So I don't know how web dev audience mm-hmm. responds. I just kind of intuitively felt like probably are not interested. Although it's interesting. I ran across a post from Sid Orlando, uh, the editor for Increment, where she was like, hey, I'm considering putting together a writing course that's aimed directly at web developers. Because they were interested and everyone's like, I'm super interested in that. Or at least it got a lot of response. So I wonder if marketing for web devs would be interesting too. I think so. There was a guy on Twitter, I think his name was Philip Keeley or Kylie, and mm-hmm. he wrote an ebook about like writing for web developers, like how to either do technical writing or copywriting, but it's for a web developer audience and it did really well. So I think that kind of goes along with all the devs who want to build their online presence. They all want to sell ebooks, which everyone on Twitter is doing these days. I know. And it, it must be working. <laughs> It must be working. I have a personal bias against PDFs. I don't (laughs) like them. I don't know why anyone likes them, but they exist and people buy them and, you know, they work. What I really do like is seeing people who write for LogRocket, you know, either regularly or not regularly. Sometimes they pop in and you'll see them come back two years later and there's this huge change in their personal brand and the things that they're writing and what they're working on. I think a lot of people, there's like mixed paths to that sort of success, Mm -hmm. right? Like, Sometimes I see it and go, oh, you're just working through the process on their own versus like, you know, reading, doing research, formally teaching themselves. I don't know what my point was, but thank you for listening. You're welcome. (laughs) We should probably end now or else we'll just be talking about (laughs) marketing content forever. I could do that. I I love talking about marketing and stuff. (laughs) Come back. We could do more. Sure. If it does well, I can do a part two. So let's say that people wanted to find out how to access Coder Coder. What do they do? I mean, they should Google it, but beyond that. Basically, I have a blog, coder-coder.com, and I have a YouTube channel, 
Coder Coder. And also I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Coder Coder. And I'm currently trying to create a course in responsive design. It's called Responsive Design for Beginners. And you can find info on that probably on my Twitter account. And it's also at my blog, coder-coder.com slash responsive. Cool. Thank you so much. I hope you come back. I want to talk more about marketing and content and content marketing. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for having me. This has been really fun. Hey, it's Brian again. So it turns out that running a podcast is maybe harder than we thought. And so I kind of want to hear from you. I'm genuinely interested in your feedback. We have to think about new topics, new guests. We have to find them. And don't get me wrong, we can do it, but it's a lot easier if everyone else who's listening helps. So if you'd like to suggest a topic or volunteer to be on PodRocket, we'd like to hear from you. So you can do that by going to podrocket.logrocket.com slash contact hyphen us. The hyphen is next to the delete key if you're curious. If all of that is too long, you can just email me directly, brian at logrocket.com. That'd be great. Also, if you're feeling magnanimous, be sure to like and subscribe to PodRocket. Thank you. Thank you.